0: This. yeah this is the rich eisen show goats have home lives too live from the rich eisen show studio in los angeles rich eisen hello rich eisen rich eisen oh that's susie Eisen husband <laughs> <laughs> the rich eisen show and now sitting in for rich here's brian weber
1: Rolling into the final hour of the program, final hour of the year, and to quote the great philosopher Barry Manilow, "Yes, I am a low. Looks like we made it because only have to deal with me for 60 more minutes. Them, Rich, and the fellas back with you on Monday. All the fallout from what should be a monster NFL Sunday, and given his love of his alma mater, his ties to Ann Arbor, Rich. Proud Michigan man, sure we'll dig deep into whatever happens tonight at the Orange Bowl, Georgia, seven and a half point favorites over the Wolverines, but that's preceded by the Cotton Bowl, Cincinnati, massive underdogs, last check, 13 and a half, taking on Alabama, and we're just 90 minutes away from the first national semifinal. And as we discussed earlier, and hopefully you've been with us throughout the day, I'm only asking for a three-hour commitment. That's not much, right? Plus, depending on where you work, theoretically, because the holiday is tomorrow, well, it can't be on a Saturday, a lot of corporations are celebrating the holiday today. should have your day off, and if you are working, you have my permission, as the fill-in host, Brian Weber, Hit me up on Twitter. I'll sign whatever paperwork you need through DocuSign. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. You can officially mail it in now. Because that's what the folks who are running the college football playoff are implying with a 3.30 Eastern kick for the first game in the Final Four. Do they just believe no one is working? Or if people are working, they're going to go to their boss and say, All right, I know I have banked some personal days, mental health days, sick days. Hang on to those, I would say, moving into the next year. We're still in the midst of the early stages of the winter. But whatever you've banked, boss man, I got to go. I got to bounce because I got to go home and watch Cincinnati and Alabama. It's going to be a record low rating, in my opinion, for that game. But that's good news. If the ratings tank, there's more pressure to break up the status quo And I have come to a different mindset on what's happening in college football. I like, in theory, the construct of four because that fuels real conversation. Because so much of what makes college football so special is its inherent passion. It's why a college football Saturday is a better viewing experience in person, certainly. And I think on TV it's uh, comparable to the NFL But college football is unique because we care on a different level. Either we went to the school or growing up in the suburbs of New York City like Rich Eisen did. I know Rich is proudly from the city itself. I went to high school in the mean streets of the Bronx. College football in the early 80s in the New York Tri-State area meant one thing. Notre Dame football. I'm Irish Catholic. Well, that's my birthright. I got to watch Notre Dame. So we're invested in these programs in a different way. But... If we're seeing the same teams year in and year out because of the limitations of the bracket, just four teams, and because the playoff committee's hell-bent on putting those teams in that they think are going to motivate casual viewers to watch. That's why it's Alabama every year. Georgia, I know, uh, hey, a different team. It's Georgia. We know who Georgia is. Of course, it's an SEC team, Ohio State. Clemson, Oklahoma. At some point, the only way we're going to get a more competitive field and more diversity of teams with a chance to win a national championship is to expand things. If the numbers bomb based in part on playing these games early and on New Year's Eve, that'll lead to more momentum to change and expand at least to eight, maybe 12 If you want to go back in time, you can always podcast the program. Had a good, lively college football conversation with Andy Staples of The Athletic. Our number one featured NFL analysis from Eric Edom of Yahoo Sports. In 15 minutes, we'll bring in our final guest of the program. An old friend of mine, radio co-host, who's doing a great job now on his own, Nick Ferguson. You can hear him in Denver, 104.3 The Fan. Nick, former NFL safety, played for the Broncos, so we'll use... Those affiliations, to start our chat, trying to figure out how much job security, if any, Vic Fangio may have. And then we'll move around the NFL, as I'm going to do here. So, if you haven't looked at the schedule, and we've reached a time of the year where there is the separation, even with the expanded playoff field, creating more hope than ever. And I'm in the minority here, and I'm not just zigging when the world is zagging. I understand from a perspective of supersize everything, and I'm guilty during the holiday season, although my beloved McRib is gone. Remember, it's only around for a limited time, and I decided to reward myself the other day. Not available, probably for good outcomes as I'm trying to get back to fighting weight next year. But we believe in our society more is more. If some is good, more is better. And I'm not trying to say more playoff football is a bad thing. Yeah, it's great to have the additional games to watch. But there's always a trade-off. There's always a concession that comes with any decision. And the expanded playoff field means we have teams that typically would have no business being in playoff contention in the second to last Sunday of the regular season – Still having a chance. Now, you could say that's great, especially if you are active in sports investing. I get it. But I'm looking for quality. That's why I had the back and forth with anti Staples in the last hour of the program. I am not anti-bowl games. I want every player to have as rewarding an experience as possible but when you get to 42, you can't ask me to care about all of them. That means every team with a 6-6 six and six record is eligible to go to a bowl game and they have a landing spot. Same thing, especially in the AFC, where once you get beyond Kansas City, I'm not even talking about the division champs. I'm just looking at the wild card picture. The fact that the Dolphins control their path to the postseason, and it's challenging, but it lays out this way. If Miami can beat the Tennessee Titans coming up on Sunday, and then back it up with a victory at home over the Patriots. Miami's in the playoffs. Have you watched the Dolphins? Does Miami look like, on any level, if we're going to steal from the college football playoff selection committee, the good old eyeball test, does Miami look like a playoff football team to you? Heck no. But we deal with the facts as they are. So I've spent a lot of time going through different scenarios. And weighing the pros and cons of teams in contention, we devoted the opening monologue to what was the breaking news that occurred just an hour before we came on the air. Kirk Cousins can't play on Sunday. It's a Sunday night matchup between 7 and 8, Minnesota, 12 and 3, Green Bay. Cousins, we found out today on the COVID reserve list, so it's backup Sean Mannion. Going to be out there on the road against Aaron Rodgers. We still don't know the status of Carson Wentz. Found out the news on Tuesday about his positive test, although with the modification in the isolation time from 10 days that would have automatically disqualified him for Sunday's crucial game against Las Vegas. Always remind myself, Las Vegas, not Oakland. Instead, Wentz is going to be a game-time decision may have a chance to play. So there are so many different variables and so many twists and turns coming up, but I think we can get bogged down in these details and lose sight of what truly matters, and that's who has a legitimate chance to win it all. And in the AFC, it's not just the disparity in the rankings, although that's not as broad as you might think. Remember, when a lot of you, yeah, you, I can see you through the radio. It's wonderful technology. It's Brian Weber in for Rich, Rich Eisen Show. 1 844 204, Rich is our phone number. My Twitter handle is BW Weber, Weber with two B's. But when some of you left the Chiefs for dead in October, maybe you forgot that it was a long year and there are plenty of opportunities to rebound and of equal significance for Kansas City, get healthy because they were missing critical people on defense. And you had the comeback of Chris Jones and lining him up in the right position so he can get to the quarterback with even more ferocity. Mahomes has been uneven this year, but as everybody's looking for the strongest opinion possible, Cincinnati at 9-6, and six, trying to lock up the division, still in the midst of a rebuild. They're not done. But it's a credit to what's going on with that team led by Joe Burrow and the amazing rapport with Jamar Chase. And Joe Mixon made terrible decisions in college. I'm not going to overlook what happened to him prior to coming to the NFL. But so far, no repeat of that abhorrent behavior. And he, because we care about productivity more than just about anything else, he's been an effective running back for the Bengals. So Cincinnati, a major development this year, and they're not done building a possibility to wrap up the division. More important, win or lose, make a statement. They belong in the conversation with Kansas City. Well, flip it around, and I was not watching many of the bowl games yesterday. I'll self-report. So I'm a sucker for an interesting topic, but I can't remember which network. No need to call anybody out. But one of those talking head shows – had the debate, who would you rather have, Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes? And I know it's professional wrestling. I understand the dynamic. If I say the sky is blue, you have to say the sky is red because we have 15 minutes to kill before the next commercial. But I think I'm fairly loquacious on a big word Friday, and I would do it if I had to, but thankfully I don't. How can you even come up with a straw man argument That Joe Burrow is superior to Patrick Mahomes. And I'm not diminishing Burrow in any way. He has been magnificent. Remember, this is year two. Year one, he went down with that serious knee injury. What a great comeback. And what phenomenal numbers he's putting up. Not just the video game performance last week. Anytime you hear Norm Van Brocklin, you know somebody's approaching a milestone, and Burrow put up 525 yards and four TDs. Fourth most passing yards in a single game in the history of the NFL. Great year. Star in the making. But if we're just going to have a reasonable comparison, don't you have to go with a guy who's already won a Super Bowl and followed up with another appearance last year? Mahomes has had some wobbly moments, but he's still Patrick Mahomes. And I think that'll be borne out again when we get to game time coming up Sunday in Cincinnati. So a chance for the Bengals to reveal more of what they're all about. But as I've been posing the question along the way, and perhaps I'll do it again in just a few minutes when we check in with my pal Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety, I think the more compelling way of framing things in the AFC is who is the second best team? Who do you believe can really, as a road opponent, go into Arrowhead Stadium, that cauldron, on a frigid day in January, and hang with the Chiefs? I still believe in Buffalo, and I understand the defense has taken a major step back, and it's almost entirely a one-man show with Josh Allen. If you go back to the details of the win over New England on Sunday – giving Buffalo control of their road to a division title. Not only did Josh Allen have a phenomenal game in the air, he was Buffalo's leading rusher. So I'd like to see, and I'm not rooting for anybody, but if I'm trying to bolster my argument to have more of a firm belief in Buffalo, they have to run the ball a bit. Just give me a semblance of a ground game to keep the defense honest, and you got to play better defense, and you got to get to the quarterback. If it's Buffalo against Kansas City, you have to apply some pressure to Patrick Mahomes. That's why I'm a more firm believer, not just going through the seedings, because most of you probably don't even know. Right now, the Colts are the two seed in the AFC. And any Colts, uh, rather the Titans, the Colts have been vying back and forth with Tennessee, but by virtue of sweeping the season series from Indianapolis, it's the Tennessee Titans who are the two seed. And as I think about where Tennessee is at, a lot of it comes down to, do you think that what we've seen from Ryan Tannehill without Derrick Henry is something he can put Behind him. Pronounce, pal, talking about the quarterback there because Ryan Tannehill has thrown more interceptions this year alone than the last two years combined. And my counter to you would be well, what do we know about the health of Derrick Henry? Can we reasonably presume he's going to be back for the playoffs? Because if he is, that changes everything. He's the most impactful, dominant running back in all of football. He'd be fully healthy and rested with fresh legs, and we just saw what the return of A.J. Brown on Thursday night meant as he was unguardable by a wobbly San Francisco secondary, and Tannehill actually looked like a serviceable quarterback. So if you can tell me with the degree of confidence that Derek Henry's back, that changes everything offensively and to... Get back to the notion that you got to play some defense. You can't try to outscore Kansas City 42-35 on a cold day in January in KC. You have to play defense. And I still believe in that Titan defense because of the way they approach things. Their identity is a byproduct of their head coach, Mike Vrabel. They offer a physicality on both sides of the football that, to me, gives me a degree of confidence they're the second-best team in the AFC. You can hit me up on Twitter. The conversation never stops there. It's B.W. Weber. Weber with two Bs. will ride the NFL the rest of the way. Coming up, we'll get the view from Denver. Does Broncos head coach Vic Fangio need to win the last two games to hang on to his job? Looking forward to checking in with my good friend Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety, now host at 104.3 The Fan in Denver. I'm Brian Weber, in for Rich on this New Year's Eve, it's the Rich Eisen Show.
0: Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts, people. They're in the business of keeping your car on the road, and I should know. They kept my car on the road, and they do it with a smile on their face. They offer friendly service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs, and that comes in so welcome when your car needs to be put back together and they do it with a smile so you know you're being taken care of they got thousands of parts and accessories in stock either in store or online so you never have to worry if you're in a jam and guess what you should not miss power torque tools diy days at o'reilly auto parts power torque hand tools come in with a lifetime guarantee and right now you can save big on power torque hand tools power tools jacks and more get great deals on a wide range of power torque jacks and jack stands, including two-ton jack stands and up to three-and-a-half-ton floor jacks. Let the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts help you find the right power torque tools for your next DIY project. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eisen.
2: Brian,
1: Weber back with you in for Rich Eisen. It's the Rich Eisen Show home stretch on this New Year's Eve, but we still have plenty of business to attend to. And let's continue to get you set for all the critical matchups coming up Sunday in the National Football League. Say hello to an old friend, Nick Ferguson, former NFL safety. He shined for the Broncos. Now he's a talented radio host for 104.3 The Fan in Denver. Nick, happy New Year. How are you, my man? Happy New
2: Year, Be well. Uh, it's great to uh, talk to you again. Hopefully uh, you're doing well, my friend.
1: I'm hanging in there. I'm doing better now I'm talking to you. How about this? As a radio cynic, I'm doing better than Vic Fangio. So let's talk about a topic <laughs> I'm sure you have covered in great detail on your local show. How much job security does Vangio, uh, Vic Fangio have with two games left and Denver taking on the L.A. Chargers on Sunday?
2: Well, he doesn't have that much, and uh, it's just gotten worse over the past 24 hours. He's going to be without his uh, defense line coach, Bill Kolar. And then Bradley Trubb is not going to play. Stephen Weatherly is out as well. Jonathan Cooper is out as well. So if you are the Rams, you're saying – not the Rams, I mean the, the Chargers, you're saying, hey, this could be an excellent matchup for us. knowing one is – we're trying to keep our playoff hopes alive, but Coach Fangio, man, I mean, it's been – a tough no, uh, December and November for the NFL, but definitely for a Coach Fangio moving forward.
1: Nick, if there is a coaching change, how desirable a job would Denver be from a distance and just watching the games on the red zone every Sunday? There's a ton of talent on both sides of the football. Still, if you don't have a quarterback in this league, you don't have a chance.
2: Well, yeah, that's kind of been the, the narrative thus far. And Teddy Bridgewater was just that, a bridge to just kind of get the team back on a winning track. But you have to start with a quarterback. And once again, going back to Vic Fangio and these last two games, are going to be really important in determining whether he stays or not. If you test the pulse of Broncos country, they want to change. They want to change at the offensive coordinator spot. They want to change at the head coaching spot. But more importantly, there's going to be a change at the ownership spot as well. And that may determine a lot as far as how the team moves, uh, moves forward. But it's been rough around here for the past couple of years. And uh, on the Coach Fangio, if he doesn't win these last two games, that means a third season of being below 500, And usually that, those are opportunities where guys get fired. Now, Fangio did say earlier this week that he's willing to make sure or just opt out of an extension. But I'm thinking, like, well, why are you talking extension when you really haven't produced a winning uh, <laughs> a season? So so he's trying to put himself in a situation where the organization can look at him and say, my defense has been playing well, but if you bring me back, you don't have to pay me as much money. So he is already putting out there that he's willing to be a bargain as a coach.
1: I agree. And I think you could have those conversations internally. You could have them privately. But when I saw those sound bites, it was a bit baffling. It seemed a little bit beneath an NFL coach to be publicly lobbying to hang on to his job. Although, Vic has waited so long to get the opportunity, I can understand why he's willing to do whatever it takes. We're taking you across the NFL with my good friend Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety. Check out his great work on the radio, 104.3 The Fan in Denver. Well, Nick, I'm still here in Los Angeles where, and I've had some fun with the Charger fan base, but let's just tell it like it is. There are not a ton of Charger fans here in Southern California. so a lot of bad feelings for people who have the mindset the team should never have left San Diego. But if I'm going to be objective, there's a lot to like about the Chargers until what occurred last week. Now, let's also point out Joey Bosa couldn't go and they didn't play Derwin James. Still, Nick, you're smarter than I am. How in the world did the Chargers not only lose that game in Houston, they got pushed around by a terrible Texans team.
2: Well, the Texans, uh, uh, they know right now, B-Web, that uh, they're just playing for pride. And this is where a lot of teams who haven't done well during the season find themselves, hey, we can play the spoilers to teams who are trying to get into the playoffs. But you did mention something that's rather important. I mean, Bosa, Durbin James, Austin didn't play. They had ten guys in totality who or out due to injury or being on a COVID list, that's hard for any team to go in uh, and try to win a football game, even if your opponent is considered to be inferior. But they're they're starting to get healthy at the right time. They're going to have more guys back uh, this week when they play the Broncos because the Broncos are now finding themselves in the same position that the Chargers found themselves in last week. And when you look around the league, b Royal, there's a lot of teams that are in the same predicament. I mean, uh, you look at Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kirk, Kirk Cousins is not going to play. So so now Kellen Munn is going to have to come in, maybe Sean Mannion, Kyle Slaughter. And just think, Minnesota is still trying to make a push for a playoff themselves. So COVID and guys being on the COVID list has developed a lot of things.
1: Nick Ferguson, former NFL safety, is our guest. I'm Brian Weber, in for Rich on the Rich Eisen Show. Well, since we were using Denver, and the L.A. Chargers as a catalyst to talk AFC. Let's stay in that conference, expand the focus. You see the Chiefs all the time as a divisional opponent, and we know just how hot they've gotten, just how much improvement we've seen defensively. Nick, if I put you on the spot and said, tell me who's the second-best team in the AFC right now, who would you go with?
2: Well, the second-best team in the AFC, uh, you know what, I may have to say the Colts. And I, even though I know when you look at the Carson Wentz, he's not putting up those big, gaudy numbers, but he's making great decisions. If it's designed for him to hand the ball off to Jonathan Taylor, he's doing that. If it's causing him to throw the ball down the field to Jack Doyle or Molly Cox, he's going to do that as well, Michael Pittman. But they're, they're running the ball well, and they're playing great defense. And tell me where you've heard this before, because once we get into this part of the season, the back half, we're talking about December and January, you need to have a run game that travels, and you need to have a defense that can not only stop you know, the, the opposition, but they can actually turn the ball over and turn defense into offense. So over the past couple of weeks, I know people haven't really been sleeping on the Colts, but it's not because of the play of wins, but it's being able to play defense, and being able to run the ball efficiently with Jonathan Taylor that has them in the conversation.
1: Sound logic, and there's a lot to like, as you detailed, about the Colts on both sides of the football. They've won eight of their last ten, although we don't know if Wentz is going to be coming off that COVID list in time to play Sunday in that critical game against the Raiders. So if I'm buying into what you laid out about the Colts, how about a team that has already swept the season series from them, the Tennessee Titans? And I know this is a big if. But if Derrick Henry is available come playoff time, Nick, think about what Tennessee has achieved at home, and they're on track to win the division title. They've beaten the Niners, the Colts, the Bills, and the Chiefs, all getting that done as the home team.
2: Well, yeah, that is definitely uh, fascinating. But, once again, I mean, you you laid out a very valid point. What's going to happen with Derrick Henry? I mean, yeah, he was kind of the linchpin to their offense. He's coming back off an injury. So my biggest concern with the guy in Henry's position, where is his cardio and his durability going to be? They leaned on him to get to this point. Now having him come back from injury at a very critical point in the season, how predictable will it be to say that he's going to be able to be the same player he was before his injury now? Now, A.J. Brown – I mean, fantastic wide receiver. I watched the game when they played against the 49ers. I was talking about a man amongst boys. I mean, he's big wide receiver, and he's got that big catch radius. If Henry can come back and he can be maybe 30%, mm-hmm. 40% of himself, now that creates those paths and lays down the field and takes the pressure off for Ryan Tannehill, because Ryan Tannehill lost to those Houston Texans as well, and he did not have a great day when he had the volume passing in that game.
1: Nick, you spent some time with the 49er organization. You had a great experience with a coaching internship, so I'm not asking you for any inside knowledge. You're an objective football <laughs> analyst. If the Niners believe, and we saw evidence in that, that they traded up, they went all in to get Trey Lance, if they think Trey is the quarterback of the future, why wouldn't you go with him against the Houston Texans on Sunday as opposed to Jimmy Garoppolo, who's clearly less than 100%, and now we have the details of the thumb injury?
2: Well, I mean, I would like to see Jimmy play, but having that thumb injury, it can make it really uh, difficult for him throwing the ball down the field. But this is, lines up perfectly for the San Francisco 49ers. They were looking for somewhat of a window to put Trey Lance in. And with Jimmy having this thumb injury, it avoids the, the, the kind of controversy that we usually see with teams that have two quarterbacks. Now that the narrative would be, well, we just wanted to give Jimmy an opportunity to get some rest. In the meantime, we get a chance to see Trey knowing that we're still fighting for our playoffs lives, they have to win these last two games and then uh, have a couple other teams lose, and then they're able to kind of squeak into the playoffs. But this is an excellent time to put Trey Lance in, who Kyle Shanahan said, I believe, last week, that in this time when Trey has been out, he's had some great practices. You and I both know practice is different from the live games. So I would like to see what Trey Lance looks like. And if he looks great in these last two games, and the 49ers get in, you can just wave bye-bye to Jimmy Garoppolo.
1: Yeah, I think we're waving bye-bye to Jimmy either way. I think he's going to be dealt when we get to the offseason. Brian Weber in for Rich. It's the Rich Eisen Show taking you across the NFL with our great friend Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety, holding it down now on the radio, 104.3 The Fan in Denver. Nick, I'm going to wrap up the show talking NFC, so help me get there. Is it just too simplistic to say that the Cardinals falling apart can be linked to when they lost J.J. Watt and they lost DeAndre Hopkins, or is there more going on with Arizona? Why have they imploded?
2: Well, the reason I feel uh, they imploded, and I mean, losing Hopkins and J.J. Watt, that was a key uh, part of it, but they still uh, – a, there's a team that's still loaded with talent. For me, it's just kind of inconsistency. At the beginning of the season, you know, midway through, they were the only team in the NFL – that uh, didn't have a blemish on their record. And I think they just kind of bought into that hype and they just thought, okay, well, this was going to be the way it was going to be going throughout the season. But, I mean, Kyler Murray hasn't seemed as though he's been focused. He's thrown some uh, interception. And going back to that Detroit Lions game, I couldn't believe that he would play that poorly against that Detroit Lions team. But I give Dan Campbell a lot of you know, respect and admiration because he was able to have his team ready to play. So this is just a team that's kind of falling apart. And when you look at Arizona or you look at Cliff Kingsbury and being with the Cardinals, even being in college, he's, he's had difficulties winning the big games. And right now we have to see if the Cardinals are for real as though they were before. Still talent. They got talent all across the board on both sides of the ball. But it just seems like it's been a lack of focus. Maybe they can get things back on track this week.
1: Nick, great information as always. We appreciate the insights. As we say goodbye, I mentioned to the audience that we've worked together on a couple different platforms, so let me just pick one in particular. (laughs) What was more physically taxing for you? Great athlete, shining college football, Georgia Tech, played at the highest level in the NFL. Playing safety in the National Football League or sitting next to me Yelling into a microphone for seven <laughs> hours on NFL Sundays with no commercials.
2: Oh man. I, I have to tell you, uh seven hours, no commercials, that was tough. But what what was even tougher was trying to stop running backs in the league like Corey <laughs> Dillon, uh Adrian Peterson, Daniel Thomason, I mean Jerome Bettis. That was tougher. I mean, when when you you mentioned that we worked together in, in the past and we know one another. We know how to feed off of one another. And I was just telling my brother this. I kid you not, about fifteen minutes before I jumped on I said, Well, my best time in Radio was working with Brian Weber on tune in. Oh, so you're it too wasn't kind. That, Luke, you're
1: too kind.
2: No, it it wasn't that difficult. You made uh, my life that much easier. So, and I really enjoyed working with you.
1: Well, great show. And I'm so proud of your success because you're big time. My man, you're killing on the radio. So hope, you know, I value our friendship. I'm very proud of your success and hope you keep it going into the new year. Thanks so much, Nick. Thank you. B. Web. Have a happy new year. You too. Nick Ferguson. Can you imagine? And I know half of you saying, who is this guy? Brian Weber in for rich Eisen, big final segment coming up. The rich Eisen show. I have been fortunate now in my fourth decade. Yes, I am older than my enthusiastic delivery would suggest. Four decades now with bellowing into a microphone if I can prevent them from falling out of the moorings as I typically play with the mic too much. Among the many different things I've done, actually, if you go to Twitter right now, B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs, some listener out there, I was filling in on another show, found videotape of me in 2004 rocking a crew cut and calling arm wrestling play-by-play on television. That might have been rock bottom. That could have been the lowest of the low, although I got paid. I got paid extra to get the crew cut. I'll save that for my podcast, The Game Behind the Game with B-Web. You can download that over on the Odyssey app. But in my radio journey, Nick and I did a show together, seven hours Commercial free. It's called The Red Zone on television. We did the same thing on radio. And Nick had to sit next to me. A, most people don't want to spend seven minutes with me. I get that. Seven hours, and I'm very enthusiastic, consuming way too much caffeine trying to go from game to game to game, pick up the live play-by-play. And also, I have a former NFL player next to me. I got to incorporate him. Nick is a terrific guy. I hope you appreciate the insights. He knows what he's talking about. More important, a great person. Final segment coming up, and we got a lot to get to. So I'm going to run through the remaining games with playoff implications, and we'll try to spotlight a handful of playoff contenders dealing with this question Who should be on Upset Alert coming up on Sunday? Final segment of the year, straight ahead. I'm Brian Weber, in for Rich Eisen. It's the Rich Eisen Show.
3: Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good
1: I'm Brian Weber, in for Rich Eisen. It is the Rich Eisen Show, winding down here in 2021. That means Rich and the guys warming up for the new year. Back with you on Monday. They'll have all the key takeaways from what should be another wild Sunday across the NFL. And given his strong connection to his alma mater, Rich, one of the more notable Alumni from Ann Arbor. He's a Michigan man. He'll give his takeaways from Michigan and Georgia. That's the nightcap of the national semifinals. Orange Bowl kicks around 7.30 Eastern tonight. We're about 45 minutes away from the Cotton Bowl. And I'm not rooting for outcomes. I'm not a sports gambler. I will look forward to doing sports gambling shows. Give me a week to get ready, and I'll take you inside the book with B-Web. I'm just hoping that Cincinnati can make it competitive against Alabama. Cotton Bowl coming up 3.30 Eastern time for a couple reasons. As a viewer, I just want a game to watch. Secondly, as somebody who is loudly endorsing the expansion of the playoff field, I don't want the first team to come from the group of five to get destroyed. So it's Cincinnati-Bama coming up in about 45 minutes. Straight ahead, we'll wrap up the show with firm opinions. I might waffle a bit, but strong convictions about how some pivotal things could play out, not only Sunday, but the remaining couple games on the schedule in the regular season in the NFL. But because this program, by its own marketing slogans, is all about the nexus of sports and entertainment, do want to acknowledge some sad news. Just saw on Twitter the passing of Betty White and what a rich and wonderful life Betty had. 99 years old, was coming up on 100, would have turned 100 January 17th. And coincidentally, I follow Steve Martin on Twitter. Last night, he was tweeting about how as a young comedian, he opened for Linda Ronstadt at the famed Troubadour in West Hollywood here in Southern California. And he met... Betty White in the lobby as a young comedian and was starstruck. And she was so nice. And he said, hey, it should be a great show with Linda. And she said, I'm here to see you. I've heard great things about you. And that really does sum up everything you ever heard about Betty White. Just universally loved. In an era in which we can't agree on anything, everybody appreciated Betty White. And depending on how old you are, you can place her... In very different contexts, the movies towards the end of her career, she was still acting, but I'm saying in the last decade, you want to go back to the Golden Girls, dominant on NBC, good run in syndication. I'm old enough not to remember first run episodes of the Mary Tyler Moore show, but that show was on all the time when I was a kid in the late 70s and Betty White as Sue Ann Nivens was tremendous playing against type as the person you wouldn't want to be hanging out with. So what a wonderful life. Richly lived. Because I love game shows, I recall she was married to Alan Ludden, the host of Password, and he passed away in the early 80s. She never remarried and would say, on any talk show along the way, you pick it. Merv Griffin in the 80s or I'm with Jimmy Fallon. Once you've had the best, why would you try the rest? So we, we've lost Betty White to wrap up the year. And just a remarkable person, a wonderful career, and seemed to enjoy life to the fullest. Okay, let's make the awkward transition back to the NFL. So hopefully I've been comprehensive. I think I've hit on any team I think that is worthy of playoff conversation, including the Raiders sitting at 8-7. and seven. And since I mentioned sports wagering and that's where the industry is going, just follow the money. If you had a a few bucks invested in this game, where are you right now? Not even knowing if Carson Wentz is going to be able to play. And that really will be your quintessential game time decision. We may not find out until Sunday morning itself. If Wentz is able to come off the COVID list. Now, Here's the good news for Indianapolis. It's a home game, so he wouldn't have to jump on a jet and try to get there by game time. I think the other small positive, as we talked about with Nick Ferguson, is that Indy is red hot and rolling. They've won 8 of 10, primarily behind Jonathan Taylor, who belongs in the MVP conversation. We don't hand the MVP award to running backs in the modern NFL unless it's something historic like Adrian Peterson going for better than 2,000 rushing yards, or the versatility of LaDainian Tomlinson. So if you care about the hardware when we get to NFL honors, Jonathan Taylor is probably going to have to settle for Offensive Player of the Year. That doesn't matter. Just watching these games, he makes everything go for the Colts. And even though Wentz played slightly better, probably had the best game of the year, Christmas night against the slumping Cardinals. That's not saying much for Wentz. I think that Indy would still have a chance so long as Sam Ellinger didn't play as abysmally as Ian Book did, for example, being pressed into duty as a rookie starter on Monday night. If the game plan is even more simplified, give it to Jonathan Taylor and get out of the way, I still have a degree of confidence in the Colts. Matchups that stand out, we've already spent a lot of time in Kansas City and Cincinnati. I'll roll with the Chiefs there. I think the question moving forward would be, sure Rich is going to talk about this when he gets back from vacation. Find me the flaw on the Chiefs. What's the obvious negative? Because I don't see one, and I'm not trying to be so simplistic saying, okay, they've won eight straight, and they've made it to back-to-back Super Bowls, winning one of them, and they're getting healthier. But with the understanding, there are no perfect football teams, especially at the end of December. I don't see the obvious missing link in Kansas City. Bengals, a tremendous story, but this is a step up in competition. I think they're going to be exposed. Game filled with playoff implications. 10-5 Tennessee, 8-7 Miami. Dolphins, first team in league history to go from seven consecutive losses to seven straight wins. Nice achievement, but let's not skip the first part of that statement. They lost seven in a row for a reason. Let's call this the Ryan Tannehill Bowl. Miami controls their path to the playoffs. If they can beat Tennessee on the road on Sunday and back it up with a home win in South Florida over the Patriots, Miami's going to the playoffs. But the first part of that back-to-back is not going to happen. Tennessee's going to win the game, and then we'll have a ripple effect across the wild card possibilities in the AFC. Other games that stand out, none bigger in the late window, and thankfully, we have five late games, which optimizes the red zone experience, and I'm an Andrew Siciliano guy, you might prefer Scott Hansen, but when we're down to two or three games, it's just not enough for me, I'm like an addict, you gotta give me my fix, so they'll be whipping around the five late games, among them, the Cardinals, who have fallen apart. They've lost three straight as Nick Ferguson beat me to the punch. Explain to me how you lose that game to Detroit. Not only the final score, the way that they lost. Arizona, a shadow of themselves, not only because of the injuries, namely DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Hott, but uh, J.J. Watt. Kyler Murray is looking mortal. Dallas at home on the strength of their defense. Lawrence, Gregory, Parsons, and Diggs. They're going to keep it going. They're going to win a fifth game. And if you think Cowboy Nation is insufferable now, wait until they win another game. But the pass should not have bearing on what's going on with Dallas right now. I am well aware. I've done this rant many years. If we play the hits, when's the last time Dallas won anything? Got to go back to the mid-90s. Well, if you're in our key demo, 18-34, to 34, some of you weren't alive when the Cowboys were winning multiple Super Bowls with the triplets and having a very good time off the field, but that should not matter. And Jerry Jones making a series of draft blunders. I'm more concerned about the clock management of Mike McCarthy, but given the strength of the defense and the offense doing just enough more efficiently, I think the key development for Dak is he's healthier, he wouldn't talk about it, but it just didn't seem like he was nearly 100% with the calf issue. Dallas is legit carried by the most impactful unit on either side of the football. That's the Dallas defense. Now, here's the bad news. Even though there are other games with playoff implications, because Atlanta's at 7-8, not eliminated yet, but that'll become a foregone conclusion when they go to Buffalo and lose. The Bills control their... Road to a division title. They're going to beat up Atlanta this week. Then they're going to blast the hapless Jets. Buffalo will ramp up the division title for the second consecutive year. Elsewhere, do you care about the Giants and the Bears? I don't. Maybe Chicago can pick up a couple more meaningless wins in 7-10 and 10 for Matt Nagy. will feel better when he's shown the door on Black Monday. Jacksonville's a dumpster fire, but a chance for New England to beef up their playoff resume. With the Patriots winning that game, Carolina has Matt Rule quoting Jay-Z to try to keep his job, turning back to Sam Darnold. 7-8 New Orleans, not mathematically eliminated, but they'll keep those faints playoff possibilities alive. Tampa Bay already clinching the division. They're going to destroy the Jets, and then they're going to have another win against the Panthers next week. And very quietly, the Philadelphia Eagles at 8-7 already... If the playoffs began today, they won't because it's only Friday. But already in the playoff field, they have that last wild card in the NFC, a chance to take another positive step against the slumping Washington football team. We talked about Denver and the L.A. Chargers. We talked about the Niners, whoever the quarterback may be, beating Houston. Seattle, could it be the last home game for Russell Wilson playing for the Seahawks? Well, I think he is going to move on. I think he's going to move on potentially to Denver. So they'll send him out for the last home game with a win over the Lions. And Baltimore versus the LA Rams, a sexy matchup, diminished by the fact that it appears Lamar Jackson is still hurt. Tyler Hunley will try to take on a rugged LA defense. Rams hoping that Matthew Stafford can finally figure out how not to throw an interception. Sunday nighter, Green Bay gets the benefit of no Kirk Cousins, although he's always in a giving mood. Sean Mannion will take on the Packers and lose on the road. That'll wrap up three rewarding days filling in for Rich. So I want to thank Rich Eisen and his great team for the opportunity. want to thank all of you for listening, and my good friends here at Westwood One, Bruce Gilbert, jack silver and our technical producer art martinez did a fabulous job the last three days i'm brian weber happy new year rich is back with you on monday on the rich eisen show